Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Sunday Recap, a weekly edition of the Grace Bible Church podcast, where we talk about life and faith based off of our sermon this past Sunday. For recordings of our sermons and more podcasts, visit begrace.org slash podcast. For more information about Grace Bible Church, visit begrace.org. I'm Joey Cologne, one of the assistant pastors here at Grace Bible Church. I'm Chris Webster, assistant pastor of Banjos and Bulletins. I am Dave McMurray, preaching pastor. And with us today is <laughs> Jeb Brown. He's here from college on fall break, uh, here from University of Memphis. Mm-hmm. Hello. <laughs> All right, fun. Also, Chris is back with us after a week of, of um, being gone in the Rockies, mm-hmm. in the mountains, in the, uh, I don't know, where were you? We went to Keystone with the family. We, our kids were like, we've never left the state. And so we did. It well, they awesome. do have the biggest state to never leave. It so. took forever so to get out right. of Texas. Yep, yeah. it did. <laughs> it did. Dad, we've been driving for a whole day. Are we outside of Texas yet? <laughs> yep. Well, uh, Elliot was with us last week. We had a great time with us. S- since then, he's had a baby. Yeah. So Richie Ray is here with us now. Um, not in the studio, Earth, but, but on Earth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. True. Not, in not here life. in the studio. Yeah. Wow, she's here. <laughs> um, but Chris is back with us. We're excited to have you back. I was telling, I don't know if you listened to podcasts last week, but I was telling him that I was afraid to to start with just us at 1030. So so I put a hold. I didn't want to be in the room alone with Dave. So mm. I put a hold on it mm. and I, I called Elliot and he came in and saved us. But yes. super glad to have you back with us. Looking forward to hearing about your trip and saw a couple pictures already. So. Right on. You had all four seasons, you said, huh? It was awesome. Yep. <laughs> Snow and everything. Mm-hmm. Negative, not negative two, two degrees. Two degrees, yep. Went from 98 uh, degrees to two degrees. Woo. It's a pretty good, good stretch, yeah. Mm. Awesome. And it became fall here while you were gone, too. It became spring here, kind of. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Rained and green came back out, yep. and it was great, yeah. Don't worry, Rain, fall comes cool next weather. week. Yeah. <laughs> so, we'll be all right. Well, this week we're in Genesis chapter 42 and a little bit into chapter 43, uh, as the Joseph story progresses, we're looking at um, this week Joseph's family back in Canaan um, uh, facing the famine. So they're they're finally gotten to a point where they've run out of everything, um, and and uh, Jacob sends the brothers. He tells them, "What are you doing? We're going to stay here and die. I hear there's food in Egypt, so I want you to go down there and buy food." And and instantly they they kind of say no and don't want to do it kind of a weird hesitance i guess mm-hmm. uh they end up going long story shorter they end up going they meet joseph without knowing that it's joseph they have conversation with him he accuses them of being spies mm-hmm. um or at least at face value accuses them of being spies um locks them all up for a few days then sends most of them home to go pick up um brothers who were left behind dad doesn't really want to do that doesn't really trust them mm-hmm. Finally, he says, we'll do it, uh, and they send him back. So that's kind of summary of our story this week, the parts of, of the Joseph story that we're in. You called this week Facing the Judge, mm-hmm. um, talking about Joseph being a judge, and you tied that with ultimately uh, God being the big the big judge, the cosmic judge. Big judge. Um, <laughs> the big judge. <laughs> uh, and your, your main points this week were Facing Need, uh, facing guilt and facing fear. So maybe we could just jump right into it. Uh, facing the judge, you have anything? I guess last week I asked this and you said no, but then you answered the question anyway. Um, have anything about title or or reason for choosing 
your main points before we jump into them? Mm, yes. Oh, he said yes this week. Yes. So he must have an answer. Mm. So a big difficulty of the text for 21st century people, I don't think medieval people cared, but for us, Joseph seems kind of mean. And But I think when you read him as a justice-giving judge, you know, executing justice in the ancient Near East, it, it makes a lot more sense. And so just as I saw it through that lens, it made a lot more sense to me. I was struck right off the bat with this umbrella topic of, you know, yeah, of the judge and, and sort of concept of just justice, just how um, sort of polarized this conversation is. I mm-hmm. think depending on who you are, um, I do think it's probably fair to say that in America we're fairly safe, we're fairly well off, and we don't we don't really feel the need for justice or for mm-hmm. a, a judge who's going to tell it like it is and really demand justice, but... That was one of the questions I wrote down is just, you know, why why do so many people have a problem with the idea of justice? Although I think it's probably, like I said, polarized where some people are very much like, I, I you know, this is harsh, why you're judging? And a, a lot other people are like, why isn't there justice? So mm-hmm. I don't know. Can, can you just talk a little bit about how you see the climate in our culture mm. on that topic at least? Well, I do believe the degree to which you've been victimized or at least see yourself as victimized plays into that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, some would offer the critique that, you know, that there are political games that are being played where people are encouraged to have a victim identity granted, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean that there's not real victimization, you know? <laughs> so mm-hmm. we have to be real careful and, and not say, oh, because some people make a game out of it. That means there's no injustice and no victimization happening. And, so yeah, I think real victimization happens. Real people are, are really oppressed by real injustice, and those people are going to want justice more than people that think everything's fine. Mm-hmm. So. Well, facing need was your first main your first main point. Facing need was your first mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talked about really the initial need of famine is really the yeah. the need that they're facing here. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, were there other needs, or that's really it? There was the need of the famine that that caused. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was trying to make application that there are other needs in our life that often drive us, but this, yeah, in this story, it was famine, and I was making the point that God actually did it. We didn't really get into that as much last week, where that text showed up. So Pharaoh, I was emphasizing the week before where Pharaoh was warned. You know, Joseph kept saying. God is telling Pharaoh what he's going to do. And I was emphasizing that God is telling. But this week I was like, okay, we also got to emphasize that it's what God is doing. That God is the cause of famine. He's the cause of the need. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. And later on, I guess you tie that to, you know, being the source of the need is to drive us to a different need, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk about that now or kind of tell this part of the story. This is the first... 18 verses-ish mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. of the session. Yeah, so the famine hits. It's rolling all over the whole you know known world at that time. They find out there is grain in Egypt. Real interesting little phrase where you're kind of alluding like a hesitancy on the brother's part. The, the way it's stated in the Hebrew is they're all looking at each other. You know, It's like this weird, I don't think we fully understand what he's saying right there, but there is, we assume, some hesitancy on their part to go back to Egypt. It's like, why are you all sitting around looking at each other? Um, 
So they're like, all right, we got to go to Egypt. We got to get grain. So that need drives them to do something they seem to be hesitant to do. Mm. And so it drives them to Egypt, mm-hmm. which brings them to Joseph. Joseph's mm-hmm. now second in charge mm-hmm. over Egypt, really second in charge over the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's he's put in charge of distributing mm-hmm. um, what he's stored up uh, yeah. and, and selling the food and the grain. So yeah. he's... I guess in this part, called a governor, right, in our mm-hmm. translation? Yep. And you said governor, actually, you talked about it a little bit already, but mm-hmm. governor actually could have meant things like um, judge, like yeah. rule. lawgiver, judge. Yeah. You know, we, we have separation of powers. There's no separation of powers in the ancient world. It's just power. <laughs> Joseph has all the power. Yeah, yeah, he's the power. And one thing just to throw in, this is a little side for the history nerds out there. Egypt is not a world empire to the same degree that Babylon and Assyria are later and Rome is later, but they are the leading power in the world. And especially with this circumstance, they become the great, you know, leader of the world. So I just had to throw that in. So he's technically not leader of the world, but leader, second in command of the best nation in the world at the time. Okay. The superpower of the world at this time. So Need sends the brothers to Egypt, to Mm -hmm. Joseph. Mm -hmm. Um, They come before Joseph and they don't recognize him. Yeah. And you talked about that a little bit in your sermon. They wouldn't recognize him because... One, it was a long time. Mm-hmm. Two, uh, I guess he's dress, dressed differently. Cool hat. Cool hat. Three, yeah. Do you think he's wearing the uh, cobra hat? Maybe wearing the cobra hat. Uh, it's hard to know for sure. Mm, mm. It's hard to nail down, you know, within a few years of what years they wore the cobra hat. But um, that's our best guess. <laughs> <laughs> Scratching all the itches. Scratching all the itches. Yes. Um, uh, if we could have a caller that knows about ancient Egyptology, call in and yes. let us know. Yeah, it great. looks like we have a caller on the line right now, but yeah. the, the we'll get to it's staticky, yeah. so we'll have to <laughs> wait and see if it cleans up. I think one, one aside I, I thought might be interesting to discuss is, you know, we live in a, a land of such plenty. Mm. We've, most of us, uh, pretty fair to say we haven't faced a famine, I don't mm-hmm. think. Um, but there have been times of, of need, true need for sure, but... Mm-hmm. Um, what what would you say? Kind of, are your thoughts on on the relationship of of want? You know, does does want drive us to the judge in some way as well? Or I think because sometimes in our our current state of things, we we feel slaves to our wants and almost feel that same kind of urgency of mm-hmm. uh, that they did of needs. But I don't think it's actually true. But you know, what's the relationship there? Is there any connection? Huh. Any similarities or differences? Or well, a friend last night was quoting C.S. Lewis from, do you remember what that was? Jeb was there. It was, he brought that up, how if we, I don't remember the book, but it was a Lewis quote. I think it was Pilgrim's Regress by yeah. Lewis. And it was the idea that if you really did pursue all your wants, then you really would come to the end of them and find them not to be satisfying. And you really would have to come to find Jesus is the only one that truly satisfies. So in a sense, that's the case that Lewis would make. I don't know that there's like so a, like wants could drive you to your needs when yeah. you come to the end of your wants, but yeah. that wants would not really be the same. I, yeah. I think that's probably probably accurate. like an overlapping but not exactly the same category, which is fascinating mm-hmm. to keep an eye on. That our wants sort of cloud, they they distance us from feeling true needs sometimes because we're thinking, man, if I just had that, mm-hmm. I'd be happy. But what we see is there's actually yeah. that's just a a sort of margin between really coming to the end of ourselves and seeing our true need. Yeah. So they're, they're definitely coming. Oh, did you have something, Jeb? Sorry. Jeb's leaned in. We're sharing a microphone. So. Mm-hmm. Go, Jeb, go. go. Jeb. Well, I think uh, 
another in that same Bible study last night, um, some friends were talking about how when they lived in Boston, um, obviously a very wealthy part of the nation, a lot of the times when they would be sharing the gospel with people, those people would say, I'm set, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's what they were saying. Yeah. Um, and so uh, that's a little bit of an example of they had all their wants, mm-hmm. um, maybe not necessarily, they didn't feel their needs. So yeah. maybe eventually they would come to the end of their wants and get to their needs. That I don't know, but I don't think once necessarily lead directly to mm. the judge yeah. in that example. It can be a big speed bump. It's fascinating, too. Uh, I was just thinking one last little side note is as you get older, you start to have to face needs more, I think, just physically and, and responsibility-wise. and So mm. I've watched that progression in my own life of – when you're young, it's easy to think, oh, yeah, I don't need anything because it, what, for whatever reason. But as you get older, you just start to face your mortality more and more and more. And, yeah. and as you get older, you're, you're more willing to sometimes have those conversations of like, whoa, <laughs> things are, you know, I'm coming to the end of myself or my own strength. So anyway, probably mm-hmm. enough rabbit trail for now. But Yeah, well, I mean, Joseph's family definitely came to the end of all their wants for sure mm-hmm. i mean they <laughs> they seem to still have had money and things yeah. but yeah. i guess food would just be what they didn't have um the clock was ticking i think mm. yeah they, they were getting close so mm-hmm. so they're coming to the end of their needs and they come to joseph and uh like we said he doesn't recognize them but joseph starts to question them and he he accuses them of being spies mm-hmm. i thought and he's rough with them. Yeah. And and you explained that a lot in your sermon, you know, talking about how it's okay for him to be rough and he's speaking on behalf of God, I think you said during the second service almost. Mm-hmm. Like he's, you know, he's also a prophet. We see that yeah. uh, earlier in the story. Yeah, I kind of spoke uh, out of both sides of my mouth because I was, I was making the case that it was okay, but I was also saying it's okay to not be sure. You know what I mean? Like let's let the story play out. Maybe over the next few weeks we'll have a clearer answer. Um, so I was throwing out some... Like, yeah, you could see why this was okay because of this. But I also wanted to give a little wiggle room. I think that's part of the the difficulty of reading stories is they're not as crisp and black and white as other portions of Scripture. And I think God wants us to wrestle through that. So I I was trying to, like, pull back from just giving all the answers. And my thought, too, as I was was listening was just, um, I guess, this kind of thing of, the way you interpret the story at that point of what what he's doing mm-hmm. kind of depends on what he knows, right? Yeah. So if he was just a random Egyptian dude that didn't know who these guys were, mm-hmm. he would be being kind of harsh and just accusing without evidence and things like that. Yeah. But then since he knows who these guys are, and we, you know, by, by proxy, we can see, we know who, the story, we know um, who they are that's it's like well on one hand he's being harsh on the other hand well you know what did they do to him right like Mm -hmm. and now he's in this position of power so so it's just this interesting coloring of yeah man like you said he's kind of being gracious and firm at the same Mm -hmm. time and it's kind of mixed in but the really the interesting thing i think i was taking away from that is like how that affects our view of god where our our sense of is god dealing with me justly or unjustly also has to do with how much knowledge does he have. Mm-hmm. And in this sense of like, 
I've even forgotten my past wrongs more than, you know, God is aware of them. God is all knowing, like mm-hmm. he's, he's more aware of all of the ways that I have turned away from him even more than mm-hmm. I am. And he mm-hmm. has this deep knowledge of me. So without, without Jesus coming before him is this ultimately supremely terrifying thing. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Does that make so, sense? Like, yeah, I'm thinking of a restatement of that would be <laughs> that the brothers could be coming, beginning to believe their own lies, that they are honest men, and that they haven't done anything wrong, and Joseph can be helping them to see. Well, and, and you kind of said mm-hmm. that. And I think another thing to know is, like, roughly doesn't necessarily mean harshly or evilly, evilly? Yeah or in an evil manner like it doesn't necessarily mean that like to be speaking rush but i think i think that in this part of the story you know he is kind of dealing with that man the last time i saw you guys you almost killed me Mm -hmm. decided to sell me into slavery like life was really bad for 13 years Mm -hmm. like he's all that definitely comes up i'm sure in the moment and and uh he's trying to figure out how to deal with them and and i don't i don't know you you kind of in your sermon were we almost made it sound like it was all planned out and, you know, he had a plan and he was going to accuse them yeah. of being a spy to make them see their lies. And, and I'm not, I'm not quite sure that that's mm-hmm. exactly how it played out, that it was a big plan that Joseph had and, yeah. and he, he had it all worked out. I was interested, why spies? Like, why would he accuse them of spying? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I just, I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that, either anyone yeah. in the room, if, like, why would he, the first thing, say, you're a spy and you came to look for our weaknesses? Like, is it just mm-hmm. capital offense? Someone just go straight for for a good good offense or? Like straight for the worst offense, mm-hmm. maybe. I, mean, I think that's part of it. I, so, again, this is, I was trying to say, this is my thinking. This is my thought that what he was doing was right. Um, but I also want to be careful to not... Um, fall into this like justification of biblical characters thing i I feel like happens a lot of times where we want to like fight to say oh they were right they were right they didn't do anything wrong you know like well i'm sure he did plenty of sinful thing you know like i'm not saying joseph was never sinful but in the bigger picture you know like in general i think he was headed in the right direction here um and i think they i think there's something to the accusing them of being spies and the nakedness of the land because that's basically what they did to him you know i mean in their in their inner family tribal warfare, they were spies that sought out his weakness and took advantage of him and hurt him. You know, so so they had done that at a smaller okay. level. You yeah. Know. Um, but yeah, in general, I don't know. <laughs> could, yeah, it could have been a <laughs> thing sure. yeah. on the top of his mind because uh-huh. they were the one country with mm-hmm. with supplies and surely, yeah. And he might have really thought. That was their plan. You know, I mean, he, he may have really not been sure. You know, like there was this, I do think there was this live action, he's figuring them out mm. step by step here. Oh, for sure. And we, mm-hmm. we don't actually see that in the first telling story until mm-hmm. Joseph's brothers talk to Jacob at the end of the story. Yeah. We see that it really was like, okay, well, how many brothers do you have? Okay, are mm-hmm. they all still alive? What about your dad? Blah, yeah. blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So I, I see it kind of as Joseph. Um, really trying to figure out about his family, mm-hmm. trying to see who's still alive, what's still going on. I mean, it's been 20 years since mm-hmm. since he's been with him. He wants to know, is his dad all right? I think he's he's mm-hmm. kind of going through all those questions too. Yeah. And I think the honesty thing 
maybe almost like triggers him you know like mm. he's like you're saying that i'm dead you know and that's <laughs> not true you are liars mm-hmm. like i don't know mm-hmm. well that's i think that's what's fascinating to me too is just this like contextual sense of of innocence and guilt and i think that's what i was trying to hint at earlier is like so they come before this certain judge, right? This mm-hmm. this Joseph, this limited judge. And in the context of Egypt, they're like, we're completely guiltless. Like so in a mm. sense, if you put yourself in the in the in their shoes. Pl- in their shoes, you're you're saying, well, no, we're not spies and no here maybe we haven't like lied and, you know, done anything mm-hmm. horrible. We haven't so, lied in the last 2 weeks. <laughs> <laughs> but right, and that's that's my yeah. whole point is is we we do that, right? We say That's how like, we carry ourselves. We segment off our lives and say, "Man, I never speed." And so, and so, when you're talking to a traffic mm-hmm. judge, you say, "I was, I'm a totally innocent person. I'm so <laughs> awesome." And and for the brothers, if they're coming before a random judge that they don't know, right? They're they're in a sense telling the truth, like. Mm-hmm. We're not who you think we are. We're not your enemy is what they're trying to say. But yeah. when they know this is our brother who we've just absolutely wronged. Mm-hmm. Well, they the don't whole... even know at all in this story. No, that's yeah. what I'm in saying. Story, they yeah. don't know that. Yeah. But if they did, they would have, and they do have a, a different reaction later, yeah. spoilers. Yeah. But I, I think, again, that's my, mm. that's my point in the context of God, right? So if God knows everything, we're not just coming to a segmented yeah. local authority it's like our whole lives on display and that's a very different yeah. <laughs> different landscape right yeah and dur- during your sermon preach ahead mm-hmm. on thursday mm-hmm. which anybody's welcome to join us on thursdays at four o'clock if they wanted to yes um but during that and then during sunday morning uh during first service i i caught myself constantly kind of going yeah, but but they are honest men, right? This is like twenty mm. years ago. Like, mm-hmm. like this isn't really fair of Joseph to mm. to say that they're not honest men. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was listening again to to prep for this, I was listening to second service, mm-hmm. and you said something in second service that either I didn't catch both the other times, mm-hmm. or um, maybe just or you you just did that time. I don't yeah. know, but you said something along the lines of. They weren't honest men. They were constantly lying about what had happened twenty years ago. You know, they yeah. they told Jacob that mm-hmm. that he was dead. You know, is this your son's robe? Like yeah. that's in this blood. Like yeah. they made it at least seem like he was dead from an animal or whatever. So every time mm-hmm. since then, Joseph's brought up. They're they're lying again. They're, they're being maintaining again. the lie. And then so all the way up until mm-hmm. you know even here with Joseph, where they're saying. You know, we're we're twelve brothers. Our youngest is still at home, mm-hmm. and and our oldest is or and another one is is gone, is dead. Yeah. So no more. So I, I actually caught myself saying, "Man, they did something twenty years ago. Like, can they not mm-hmm. be honest men now?" Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and I think it didn't really click. Like, oh no, they're still living in this lie, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so their needs bringing them to Joseph, who's who's reminding them of really their guilt, right, is what we're moving to. Before we move there, I want to say one more thing about need, and I don't know if anybody else has anything about need, but um, this is kind of unrelated from the train of thought we're on, but you said God sends famine. He sent the famine, mm-hmm. and then you applied it to us. You said God sends difficulty um, to drive you to meet your alternate ultimate need in Him. And we talked about that a little bit already, but mm-hmm. um, I just, man, like our needs 
God using things that may even seem like God's not in control over that or like yeah. that's just evil like mm-hmm. that's not a famine is just evil and it's wiping out people and killing people and it's yeah. like well God used that need to to draw you to your ultimate need and I don't know mm-hmm. I just thought that was really really big and then you you flush that out by saying you know that need caused at least in this story to face guilt and cause to face fear mm-hmm. um, anybody else have anything on need before we move to guilt Chris does. Yeah, well, I love that you said, don't, don't just ask why God and not what do you want me to do with this. Mm. Um, I thought that was awesome. Uh, the thing I'd I love for you to, if you can remember, just recap real quick. You said three things God could be doing. And I was trying to take good notes. You had all these awesome mm. scripture references, but yeah. can you just quickly summarize those three things? Yeah, so the three passages were Philippians 3, where Paul says, I consider my former awesome resume to be rubbish or garbage or poop or whatever. I can't remember if that's the one where he cusses, he cusses a few times in the New Testament. And then, is that it? And then Scuba. Mm -hmm. And then there's also, so that one was um, need or coming to an end of ourselves can be a destruction of idols. You know, just Mm -hmm. this, this pattern where neediness helps us to take our faith out of these secondary things, gifts from God, and put our faith in God. And then you had James, mm-hmm. consider it pure joy, uh-huh. right? Developing of perseverance and faith, which is kind of a growing up, a maturing, persevering theme there. And then the other one was Second Corinthians 1, which is, is basically ministry, like ser- learning to serve others. Like as, as I have to deal with need and then find my needs met in Jesus, then I'm actually able to empathize and serve other people in a new way, you know, when you're kind of, above need it's hard to relate to people and serve people yeah our our need calls us to be comforted from god Mm -hmm. which allows us to comfort others i think was kind of kind of what you talked about yeah and that might be that might be the connection between needs and wants that that i was looking for is that needs don't necessarily have to be external so maybe Mm -hmm. better than wants maybe the the word is weakness right Mm -hmm. because i think in psalms um remember david talking like that and like forgive me god and then i will teach others your ways mm, yeah. and so there's there's this also like you can have these internal needs of of weakness where it's like mm-hmm. man i can't i can't do this thing i should be able to do or i can't say no to this thing that i should be able to say no to mm-hmm. and that very much should drive us to to god and and to um mm-hmm. to ask for help yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean i think there's yeah there's yeah probably different classifications there's general spiritual need or emotional need there's the just black and white like you're gonna starve and die you know physical <laughs> needs you can't survive without food and water yeah yeah so overarching facing the judge mm-hmm. facing need mm-hmm. and need caused them to face guilt um yeah. really joseph brings them through a process to get there right he accuses yeah. them and then he throws them all in prison then he releases mm-hmm you know them and tells them to go on their way and this is kind of at that point where we see that they're at least facing guilt right so before before they're sent on their way to go back home to to i guess pick up benjamin and bring Mm -hmm. him back Mm -hmm. um at least that's what he told them to do yeah um they they kind of get together in a circle they speak in their native tongue thinking joseph can't understand and Mm -hmm. they start talking about joseph at this point so they recognize their guilt they see that you know, maybe God is bringing this on us to, yeah. I guess punish us. Is that is that what they say? I don't remember. I they don't, don't really say that 
specific yeah i mean it's we should read it because it's a really important yeah it's section. like maybe god's brought this distress on us yeah um, god's dealing with us you have it open you right there which verse it is it's like towards the end of verse 21 here yeah. it is i found it he says they said to one another in truth we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen that is why this distress has come upon us and Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. So yeah, distress, reckoning, it's pretty, yeah. pretty strong. I think the, the guilt section and, and Reuben's kind of talk to them is mm-hmm. really a big picture. And, and you tied it in to you know First John 1, 8. Mm-hmm. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Mm-hmm. If we we confess our sins, us. truth's not in us. Mm-hmm. Um but I think it's interesting because guilt can, you know, go one of two ways. You can live in guilt, right? Mm-hmm. And you can stay there. Mm. You can, you were talking about hiding it in a trunk yeah. almost. Um, yeah. Almost, not almost. That's exactly what you said. <laughs> that was the uh, image I was you using. put yeah. up a picture of a guy dragging a trunk. Yep. Um, so it can stay there. It can, mm-hmm. it can, you can live in that guilt. And they mm-hmm. did for 20 years at least, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or... You know, you can, it can bring you to confession. It can bring you to repentance. Yeah. Um, I just think it was, I don't, it was so beautiful because you were talking about, oh, sorry, I used Chris' word. It wasn't beautiful. <laughs> Only Chris can say it was beautiful. That's my it new rule. Only Chris glorious. can say it's so beautiful. That's Chris's line. Um, Splendid. No, but, Splendid. But you were saying we often, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, my sins aren't a big deal. It's mm. no big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh just gonna hide it in the trunk over here mm-hmm. whatever you said our sins aren't no big deal they're they're the biggest deal right and mm. and we know that you know in jesus that he he took all of them and he died mm. for them like it was a big deal mm-hmm. but um i guess rabbit trailing and moving a little bit off but um that well, was the, that's just a big scene second service i almost started crying when i was telling that part of the story like it just hit me how like what a climactic moment this is one of the big turning points in in the whole story and and they're still not really all the way there yet you know they're just starting to unpack it i think yeah but there i mean at least reuben is like Mm -hmm. helping even helping joseph bring them to this like yeah dude confess what we've Mm -hmm. done and let's let's repent Mm -hmm. and and really it it doesn't happen quite yet but Mm -hmm. it is this big you know they're talking in secret among themselves think Mm -hmm. no one can hear them and they're Mm -hmm. like man this distress is is possibly brought on by god to bring us to this yeah confession this repentance and mm-hmm. um, we know from scripture that god is faithful and just to forgive us if we do mm-hmm. confess if we do repent mm-hmm. um I, I just thought i, I just loved uh, like you said that trunk illustration was huge i think you said two two little points off of that of what we do what we want to do with our guilt naturally is we either want to hide it away. So you talked, you know, talked about taking the <laughs> trunk off into the forest. So we want, so we want to hide it away, so we can forget that we were ever guilty. We can put it somewhere we won't notice it. Or the other one was we bury, try to bury our guilt with good things. So mm-hmm. we try to make ourselves unguilty by piling righteous mm-hmm. actions on top of that. And mm-hmm. um, it, that was just a beautiful thing I, I wanted to hold on to. So. Yeah, doing good works to make up for our sin and our guilt. That mm-hmm. that usually works, right? That, <laughs> well, yeah, and then, and then right. So the end of that whole the whole concept is in Proverbs. You talked about he who conceals his sin will not prosper, mm-hmm. 
And then there was a gospel ending to that. <laughs> I just wrote down the negative side, but there was a positive side of basically showing if them. If you confess, you'll yeah. find mercy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you talked about our job being to open up the trunk, right? Yeah. That, mm, so, know. okay, there you go. There you go. And <laughs> uh, this, this is maybe a tough question. Yeah, Andy and Goldhorn said, song. Don't forget the Andy yes, Goldhorn song. Yes. In the show notes. <laughs> Growing roots. And, yeah. Oh, uh, that song kills me every time I listen to it. Go listen to Andy Goldhorn. Yeah. So good. Um, mm. Yeah. So, and you said. The Secret, you, by yeah. the way, dear listener, it's called The Secret. Okay. Yes. Uh, I love that. Gentle listener. Yes. Go listen to Andy Goldhorn. <laughs> the Secret. Um, so, you said, you know, you, we have to confess our sins, and then you talked about doing it in the community. So, the question I had that's more just kind of connected to our lives is mm-hmm. as a new believer or as you were learning to get into that, how did that look? Was that, um, what was that process like of learning to to talk mm-hmm. about that with <laughs> with real humans and things like that. Mm, man. Uh, <laughs> Hot that, seat. Was, that was normal to me. And so as I've grown in faith and ministered to people, I realize, oh, there are entire churches where it's just not even ever done. You know, like that just never happens. And so I look back and give thanks that I was, you know, kind of taken under the wing of people early on that were maybe more open about confession and yeah, let's pray for each other. Yeah, I'm struggling with, you know, admitting struggle, admitting guilt. Um, was it so concretely like, we're sitting in a circle and everyone tells their sins, or was it like, we said that When I was coffee. a new believer, the, the big thing was the one-on-one, we called them accountability groups. I think people still call it that in some places, but, you know, just a, a buddy you meet with, you pray, confess sin, pray for each other, um, and, you know, do a Bible study together maybe. Often it was just just kind of how's your life going what are you struggling with let's pray for each other so that was just kind of bread and butter for a lot of the discipleship that happened in the late 80s early 90s at the church i grew up at um so much so that for me over years i've i've recognized ooh, that's not that's not super efficient you know one-on-one we need to you know focus more on small groups and get people in twos and threes but i think there is an advantage of like it's easier to be transparent with with one friend so I think there is an advantage to that, or one or two friends. Hmm. So one-on-one with somebody is a place to do that. Mm-hmm. You talked about small group being mm-hmm. a place to do that. Mm-hmm. And um, like we've been talking about every week with the Joseph stories, Celebrate Recovery is mm-hmm. a good place to mm-hmm. do that. You said Celebrate Recovery is small groups on steroids, which yes. I thought wasn't actually a very good analogy for small gr- or for <laughs> Celebrate Recovery since, <laughs> uh, you know. There might be steroid problems. <laughs> there so. might be someone in there trying to quit steroids. Sorry, guys. Man, uh, yeah. I've I just been um, one of our other pastors, Jim. He he gave me a copy of the the Cure, mm, so yeah. he lo- loves that one. I just mm-hmm. just started it, but um, that's been rattling around in my brain. Um, it's all about that. All about the transparency yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and one line that really is just coming to mind right now was. Um, you know, he, it talks about this metaphor of wearing masks in church, and mm-hmm. and that we we try to put on our best, you know, best foot forward, cover our, cover up our sin, show mm-hmm. only only what we want to, this curated view of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, the line that came to mind that's that's really was really powerful um, as I'm thinking through the same things are is like if you're always wearing a mask, like say in an accountability relationship. What you're really longing for is someone to truly love you, right? Mm-hmm. But the insidious thing is if you're always wearing a mask, even when they approve of you, all they're approving of is the mask because you've mm-hmm. never actually shown yourself. And that is the terrifying thing, right? Mm. 
Jebediah has something. Yeah, so for, well, for a while now, like, um, ever since the first point, uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky's book Crime and Punishment has just mm. been screaming at me. Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially summarizing a very long, complex book that I don't really understand. Uh, essentially, it's a guy who um, thinks that he can murder someone who is not worthwhile to society. And he sort of does an experiment where he can murder this certain person who's very bad and he won't feel guilt. Long story short, he does feel guilt. <laughs> he goes crazy. Um, and it's there's sort of this insane thing. And there's also this other character, this prostitute, who's also struggling with guilt as well. And eventually at the end, um, they he confesses his his sin to her and they eventually reconcile and are in love and there's and mentioning that um the relational aspect of that as well like if you're wearing a mask in that accountability partnership or relationship that you have that you're you're longing for that reconciliation between in that specific like earthly relationship the human relationship Mm. and that he, they weren't able to be um, lovers until they confessed, till they took off their mm. the, that fake sort of mask that he had built up. Yeah, that's beautiful. beautiful. I mean, splendid. Yes. Glorious. Wonderful. <laughs> you can say beautiful, Chris. Hey, we can't. You're the only one allowed to say you something copyrighted. He's <laughs> our banjo and bulletins banjo and so beautiful <laughs> he practices those all the time <laughs> <laughs> anything else on facing guilt i think uh facing fear tied a lot in with facing guilt mm-hmm. i had oh sorry go ahead, go ahead. No. no so i had a question i was writing down uh i wrote down i think very a very important thing that our culture struggles with are is on a sort of cosmic level maybe but um are humans inherently good, right? Or, or what? What's that? You know, does that that mm. that worldview kind of a question as we talk about this concept of guilt? How would you, how would you explain the healthy biblical view of that? Is it, you know, I think humans are beautiful, <laughs> but also broken. Mm. I think that's the biblical worldview. Humans are like a, like take your favorite sports car, rip the engine out add some rust, put it in a junkyard, and you'd be like, oh, look, it's my, what? It's a 69 Mustang. It's awesome, but it's broken. It's not uh, working the way it's supposed to. it's a 69 Mustang, but yeah, sure. You know, whatever, whatever your favorite sports car is or your favorite SUV or your favorite bicycle or whatever, you know. Yeah. It's got still a recognizable beauty, but it's marred. It's not what it's supposed to be. Yeah, and so along those lines, I think that, uh, so our understanding of, of what, um, if we think all humans are inherently just these beautiful things that society has messed up or have been done wrong, that affects how we see ourselves Mm. and then it affects our view of judgment. Right? So I think if you tend to be a person who says, I try really hard to follow all the rules. So all the police are bad and out to get me and they're just trying to, you know, they're trying to catch me when I did my best and, and mm-hmm. you know, I was speeding that one time accidentally. And so so in that sense, I guess judges can be kind of a a bad thing or a, like if we could just get rid of that, I'll be inherently good. 
and then mm-hmm. obviously you have other people who are who are just well aware of our of our <laughs> rebellion and and ultimate mm-hmm. uh, turning away from from right things but um i was i was just interested on that interplay of like how you view the judge situation can really be dependent upon how you view your own striving and your own goodness hmm. any any thoughts on on that type of thing or well earth earthly mm-hmm. i guess it's a little different but you mm-hmm. some in the end your conclusion was all about god you know being the judge and mm-hmm. uh, being the god of grace the god of justice the god of sacrifice mm. um jesus being the judge of the living and the dead that god's both both that god is both the just and the justifier mm-hmm. i think that this this even goes back to your first question that you asked when we first started talking about you know how we view justice it's kind of the same mm-hmm. I, I feel like at least it's kind mm-hmm. of the same question and and yeah you're right if you look at yourself as the victim as the one who's you know i worked hard and i buried all my guilt so i'm not guilty anymore then yeah you're going to think that everyone is out to get you and everyone else is you know the accuser but if you recognize i do have guilt like yeah he wouldn't have pulled you over if you weren't speeding like maybe it was this one time but yeah so i think you're right like your outlook on who you are and where your identity lies definitely and that's part of the web that gets all tangled up with with human sin right so if you have been mistreated, that doesn't mean that you're always righteous, you know? And I think that's where we get all mixed up because, yeah, real injustice happens. Judge mistreats me. That means, you know, there's no such thing as justice in the universe. Well, not, yeah, not really, but we tend to go there, you know, and I think that's a knee-jerk reaction. Well, you know, if there were no laws, no one would break the law. <laughs> there you so. go. Mm. Yes. And that's that's why, yeah, the nuance is, is, the import, is so important of... Mm-hmm. We want to categorically say that's a good person, mm-hmm. always in every situation, or that yeah. this camp is always right and that camp's always wrong. We really want the world to be at binary like mm-hmm. that, and it just isn't. You know, it, yeah. it's just. And I wish I'd flesh that out better because that's yeah. There's this tension I was really trying to paint with Joseph. Like Joseph's basically a prophet standing in for God, judging rightly, but he's also a sinner and he does wrong things. So it's like I was trying to. And I still don't know how to do this moving forward, but how do you paint the picture of someone being very human and broken and not perfect? But also, I think generally the story paints him as the right one, you know, the one that did the right thing most of the time. Well, and he's described as in relationship to the standard of God, right? Mm-hmm. Like God doing these things through him and to him and for him. Yeah, That's another cultural thing I just wanted to touch on is we – is God just more just or more merciful, right? Um, mm. I think our culture really loves to point, uh, so non-Christians really love to point the finger at Christians and say, God is love. Mm. Anything that is not love y- is wrong. Yeah. Um, obviously, we know that depends on your definition of what love is, but yeah. can you talk a little bit about that to help kind of correct that cultural, or, or how would you say, well, is I God mean, more just or more merciful? Mm, or well, God is... Yeah. is completely just and completely merciful like he Mm. he can't be more of one or less of the other like he is who he is he is his character Mm -hmm. um so god is completely and perfectly and wholly just and he is completely and perfectly and wholly 
merciful. I, I think that's the general Christian answer, what you just said, but was it not good enough? Well, no, I was just going <laughs> to say it is debated. So like Eastern Orthodox tend to say, well, he's more love. You know, he really is more love than justice. Yeah, he's both. So like they would take what you just said and say, yes, but he's more love. And well, I mean, but that I don't know that we need to say just, he's more one than the other. Yeah, I don't know that we necessarily need to say he's more than one or the other, but yeah. we do have to say he's the standard of that. Right. Yeah. So he yeah. is. He is the perfect embodiment yes. of that. So, yeah. so if it's mercy, he mm-hmm. does mercy perfectly, yeah. and if it's justice, he does justice perfectly. So, yeah. yep. I don't, I don't think you have to quantitatively say it's more one or the other, but yeah. you do have to say, I guess, qualitatively that it's a hundred percent. Well, that'd be quantitatively, but <laughs> qualitatively, yeah. you have to say Direct. it's the perfect version perfect. of it. Yeah. So yeah. he does it right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so, and I think. Uh, I think the thing I always try to get out is from an apologetics standpoint of that's kind of like an inner Christian debate that we're having. Hmm. But I think from a world religion standard, Christianity is the religion of justice and mercy, both simultaneously, perfectly yeah. the way it's supposed to be. I mean, but I get the tension of the mm-hmm. outsider saying God can't be loved because of mm-hmm. all this and yeah. And all that, and I don't know, because of climate change or yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I guess I Amen. would say, you know, obviously, yeah, these are things we've said and heard and talked about. Um, I think it's it's worth saying, too, that he does those perfectly and fully and mysteriously. Mm. Um, yep. yeah. Because it isn't... Whoa. Mm-hmm. Sorry, knocked things over. Because it isn't... Um, it isn't something we totally can understand. Because if you... Uh, that's what I, that fascinates me is, yeah. is that... Mercy at its core is, in a sense, an injustice. It's a choice of injustice where, where either in a cosmic level, God is accepting injustice upon himself. Jesus dying on the cross was not, was not a, oh, this is what he deserves, right? So there, in a sense, that's an injustice that he's allowing to happen to himself so he can show mercy. We know that doesn't, doesn't mean he gave up justice. We know that didn't, it was satisfying God's justice and offering mercy. But there is this sense in which, like, wow, how does that actually work? Mm-hmm. And when does God is God allowed to choose? This person gets justice. This person gets mercy. And that's the that's the tension that that is at least worth saying. That's kind of mysterious, maybe. You know, yeah. does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, and I think even, I mean, even what you just said, it's a kind of injustice. That, yeah, a lot of theologians would cringe but i, I mean, know I think, i'm trying again, to help them there's not. mystery yeah. <laughs> but no yeah there's I mystery think, there it yeah. is yeah it's hard it's hard to even know how to say it with english words you know yeah, I'll, I'll buy it for a dollar we yeah. know it's not wrong but it <laughs> right. is confusing well that's that yeah. phrase you know the romans phrase is just and the justifier of the wicked yes which is a helpful you know because it's bible so that, that's helpful <laughs> but it does kind of set up that that contrast so. mm. well joseph sends his brothers on their way he keeps mm-hmm. simeon uh, in prison, locked up. Mm-hmm. I'm very interested to, uh, I guess, how the the character of Joseph's treatment of Simeon while he was there without the mm. brothers there. I wonder how that goes. But yeah, um, wish we knew. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I just part of me goes like, uh, he brought Simeon and he's like, check it out, brother. Like <laughs> yeah. this is what. But yeah. anyways, so he's he sends the rest of them home, leaves Simeon behind, and now they've they've left with this kind of guilt. And then Joseph gives them all their money back and extra stuff to send home. Yeah. They find it. They're scared. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and you talked about how Joseph's brothers had fear, but really how Jacob was the real one who had fear. Jacob, mm-hmm. who would be named Israel later, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's interesting. He's already fear. been named Israel, but, but in these stories, forth, he's going by yeah. Jacob. Yeah, it's like it's like he's backsliding. It seems like, but yeah. Dun, dun, dun. And here's another weird thing. Little rabbit trail. We'll we'll get off this real quick. But most commentators think he picked Simeon because Simeon was the one in charge of wanting to murder and. Because Reuben was trying to talk him out of it, Simeon's the next in line, so he's like in the you know chieftain order of importance. He would have been the guilty party then. Mm-hmm. I was fascinated um, by that whole thing. It's like basically Joseph. It feels like this. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like Joseph knows as soon as they get out of the present his presence. Mm-hmm. They're gonna act differently, or or mm. there's no reason for for yeah. for uh, there's no hook, right? There's no there's no. Uh, well, yeah, Simeon keep might be the this. biggest jerk among them, so they're just like, all right, we're done with him. <laughs> no, no, I will. That may be. I yeah. was actually saying the opposite, where uh-huh. in a sense Joseph is um, making sure they're gonna have to deal with him again. Oh, gotcha. And yeah, yeah, yeah. right, like so, yeah. he's setting up the situation where. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, we're gonna have to talk later. You know, mm-hmm. you leave your keys with me, and we're because <laughs> yeah, yeah. you can't just walk away. Yeah, but which for is, a minute, they're like, we'll just leave the keys. We, we don't, <laughs> we don't need that car yeah. anymore. Totally, like, yeah. totally. But from Joseph's perspective, or, or this strategic, further, like, yeah. oh yeah, for and, sure. Which made me, which really led me to think about um, this sense of when we're not, we, when we perceive we're no longer in the presence of the judge, mm. we start to act a different way often, right? We, mm-hmm. We're like, okay, I'm going to say all the right things when I'm in the courtroom, yeah. and then I'm happy to not have to talk about it anymore, or I'm going to I'm gonna mm-hmm. get to do whatever I want. Um, I don't know. That, that was just a dynamic that struck me. Well, the judge is still leading even when they're gone. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in, in God's case, right, he, he knows all, he sees all, mm-hmm. but we still have a human perception of, um, I'm in church, I'm going to act right, and I'm uh, <laughs> not anymore, and I'm going to mm-hmm. maybe act differently. Yeah, I mean, it's another mask, like you're talking about, Yeah, mm-hmm. and this mask maybe helps us not face our fears, mm-hmm. um, but Jacob is facing the fear of losing another son, right? He, yeah. mm-hmm. he Basically, they come back with all the food, they come back with the money, and Instead of going right back to Joseph with their their brother, mm-hmm. they stay there, right? The story, mm-hmm. at least it sounds like they stay. It's hard to tell how long, they, but they, yeah, they stay, stay for a while. They stay in Canaan, and it sounds like they use up the food, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. So they're there for a while. They run out of the supplies. Um, and, and they run out back. of food again. And so Jacob and, and Reuben kind of go back and forth. Um, Reuben saying, you know, we got to go back. Mm-hmm. And Jacob's like, you can't go back. You already took Joseph from me. Now Simeon's dead, he says. Mm-hmm. Like, so he's already counted him off. He's like, mm-hmm. yeah, but that guy's <laughs> he's no more. He's done to me. Mm-hmm. Like, and you want to take my next favorite son, Benjamin? Like, yeah. you can't do it. And Reuben says, you know, if if I lose Benjamin, you can kill my children. Yeah, right. And I thought that was that was pretty interesting. Jeb, you had something. Well, I have a question for y'all. Mm-hmm. So that the contrast you mentioned Reuben and his offer that mm-hmm. he uh, Jacob could kill his sons if he lost Benjamin and that seems to carry no weight with Jacob Jacob just says mm-hmm. no we're going to stay and then mm-hmm. they decide to stay for a while until they eventually run out of supplies mm-hmm. but then when they re-raise the question of going back to Egypt Judah now makes a similar offer but instead of offering his sons 
he offers his own life. He says, you can hold me personally accountable mm-hmm. if I lose Benjamin. Mm-hmm. And that one, just the fact that it's a different person now, why is Judah now offering and he didn't before? Why is Reuben no longer offering? Mm-hmm. And also, I don't think that that detail of what they're offering being different is mm-hmm. insignificant. Yeah. So w- what do you make of that difference between offering the sons and Judah offering his own life? I mean, it's clearly a turning point in the story. So I think we're supposed to see it as different. So that's, the, you know, it's where sometimes we get into trouble because we're like, well, I don't really understand ancient Near Eastern body blah. So who knows? Maybe I'm misunderstanding it. But I, I do think because it's a turning point in the story, there's a difference. And a lot of commentators thought Reuben was an idiot. Um, but a lot of commentators thought, oh, this totally makes sense because they're the next in line. Reuben is the oldest son. So he's offering the uh, the prince, you know, he's offering the next in line. He's like giving up the birthright, so to speak. So, but still, it just doesn't seem like you say it doesn't, it doesn't affect Jacob, but then this offer by Judah seems to, and then we've got the whole line of the Messiah from the line of Judah. So I think that's a huge connection that we're supposed to see because the blessing is going to come later. So here's another clue is in Genesis, you know, in a few chapters, Jacob's going to give blessings and say, Oh, Judah, the kings will come from your tribe. Mm-hmm. So that that connection is is already being made in Genesis as well. Not it's not just a whole Bible Christ connection, but it's a in Genesis connection. Well, and it's helpful to think about the original listener, right? Yeah. So the original listener would have heard Reuben and been like, "Ah, eh, that's kind of a work, worthless mm-hmm. sacrifice." Like the Reubenites, Reubenites, Reubenites aren't, mm-hmm. aren't that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. And then they hear Judah offering himself, and it's like. But the Ooh. line would have been gone. The, yeah. the lineage of the king would have been gone. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, like yeah. that, that, that feeling of mm-hmm. almost around the campfire, yeah. hearing the story for the first time. Like, yeah. It yeah, would have made a, really a big good point. difference and I, in I story. I haven't come back to that. I appreciate you bringing that up because that is – because from what we understand, Moses is, is writing this for the Exodus people. So these stories are being told – you know, 400 years later to the Exodus people in this form. I mean, we would assume that a lot of the stories are told before right. that, but this form, this is Moses's book, you know, is what tradition tells us. Mm. So yeah, I think that's a good point. They, they have context. They know these tribes in their more developed sense, and they know these promises and prophecies that have been made. Yeah. So if Judah would have not made it back, then stuff would have been really different than it is now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, facing fear, we've talked about a lot, um, but I want to, on a little bit, you talked kind of back to last week in Garden mm-hmm. Gethsemane and mm-hmm. and our prayers and facing fear, mm-hmm. um, and you talked about, you know, New Testament, I, I believe, help my unbelief. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how does that work with what we do with our fear, I guess, is what mm-hmm. you, that section you were talking about, Sam. Yeah, and this was another funny tension because Jacob doesn't seem to be a great model, you know, but he's a model nonetheless. And and uh, so I think we have this model of like in our sin and our fearfulness and our anxiety, we should pray. And I think sometimes we get that backwards in our mind like, okay, let me wait and be not sinful anymore and not anxious and not fearful. And then I'll pray, you know, instead of there's just this raw prayer of like, yeah, it's it's kind of messy. It's not really a perfect prayer by any means, but I do think it's a model that connects with the Garden of Gethsemane prayer of, please take this away, please fix it, but not my will, your will be done. And uh, talked to some at the group last night about how 
depending on how you were trained in your Christian faith or what the culture was, I think most kinds of Christians are encouraged to pray one of those or the other. You know, so some of us are discipled to pray God's will and never ask for anything. And then others are encouraged to pray really risky prayers. And if we if we believe God has to answer, then it will be answered, you know, like and you're just doing supplication or asking for big things, but you're not really saying God your will and resigning yourself to his will. So I think we're called to pray both sides of that. And I think maybe it's worth saying too, there's even a step further back of mm-hmm. he Jesus in the garden prayed. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like like you're you talking about period. how we're trained yeah. to pray, being trained to pray, period. Yeah. Um because I think mm-hmm. that's what I was I was you know, with this topic of fear. Um, I think you kind of talked both about they're they're facing their fear of going back before Joseph. So mm-hmm. there's fear of the judge, but there's also these personal fears of loss, um, mm-hmm. personal fears of exposure as as wicked <laughs> brothers, mm-hmm. um, and so um, failure on their mission. I think yeah. So I think I think there's all that w- we can relate to, um, and then the praying side of things is. Are we bringing our fears to God? Um, my question was, should we fear God? Can you, you know, unpack what that, you know, obviously I know some of the answer, but but t- how would you explain that? Um, here's a, here's another way to put it. Mm-hmm. Silly Facebook wisdom, but I saw this post that, that made me think of was like footprints in said, the sand. It said the uh, yeah footprints <laughs> in the sand. It said um, what was it? The religious the relig- the, the religious person says. I messed up. I hope dad doesn't find out. And the gospel one is I messed up. I better go call dad, you know? Mm, and yeah. that's kind of what made me think uh, yeah. just talking about that praying. Should we fear God? How do we approach mm-hmm. God? Yes, we should fear God. <laughs> yes. I think Jesus, the way Jesus talks about um, fear the one that can kill the soul, not just the one that can kill the body. You know, I think, I think fear is actually tied to respecting someone enough to ask for their help, which we don't necessarily see those as the same thing, but I do think those are connected. So He's strong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's all I got to say about I that. had a thought, and then <laughs> I, my brain is tired. Um, you lost it. Well, while your brain's been tired, <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. we are doing a targeted prayer. You talked about that a little bit in your sermon. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know if that's online anywhere, but maybe we can make it be oh, online yeah, that's somewhere. that's a good idea. We should put that online um, somehow. Targeted prayer, 31 days of prayer mm-hmm. for your yeah, church just has and your different community. prayer, like pray for the pastor, pray for our Sunday school teachers, pray for elders, pray for the women's ministry, the community, that all the churches would have you know unity with each other. And it's just kind of like every day there's some kind of particular prayer for the kingdom, what God's doing in the world, your local church, all of the above. So Yeah, that's good. It's a nice structure. I remembered my, th- I remembered my thought. Okay. Uh, so courtroom drama, right? Um, my kids want to be lawyers. I'll talk to you about that later. But um, mm-hmm. that's <laughs> it's a sin. Don't let them do it. it. Well, I have to tell you about that. It's a really funny <laughs> conversation. Kidding. But it struck me that we we're talking a lot about the judge, and so in in the cosmic sense of things, that's God the Father. Mm-hmm. Um, but it struck me that in a f- the, the fuller sense of the Christian worldview. We have an entire courtroom scene set up. I don't know if you guys have ever done, you know, jury time, seen that play out. But in a sense, we have, right, we know that Jesus is interceding before the Father. We know that we have the helper of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, to me, unlocks a lot of that 
yes, fear the God, fear fear God the Father, fear this this powerful, um, perfectly righteous judge who will have the last say. Mm-hmm. But we also know we have uh, Jesus interceding. I don't want to call Jesus a lawyer, but you know, like mm-hmm. in, in this metaphor, but he's right? Interceding on our behalf. Yeah, yes. and, yeah. And, and then you've got the Holy Spirit as a counselor, and uh, so there is this very more fleshed out like. As I go to God, the correct way is not just here's my own perfect representation and my defense of myself. It is Jesus on my behalf defending before the judge um, mm-hmm. based on his merit, which is even more confusing in that metaphor. But um, yeah. I just thought that was a beautiful I – mean, I don't know if that stirred up any thoughts too. I said beautiful. I'm sorry. There it is. <laughs> You're okay. allowed. You get to say it. We can <laughs> <laughs> Unless yeah, you're not I mean, here, think, then we get to say one beautiful each. That's well, how it works. I, I think that Jesus is the record that takes away our fear. So, you know, he's, he's not only the advocate, but mm-hmm. he, he stands in for us. Mm-hmm. We're in yes. Christ. So, yeah, so that's, it, yeah, the whole thing is mind-blowing. So the Spirit is interceding for us. Christ is interceding for us. We're going before the judge, but we're actually going for the judge before the judge in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, his record is being evaluated which is, that's good news. So we have that, that's how we can have healthy fear of God. You can do anything, but not an unhealthy fear of, I will be destroyed. I can't go before the judge. Um, we can approach with confidence, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's such a, that's a difficult thing. Cause in the cure, there's this one part going back to that book by John Lynch. We just did a book club and we're discussing it at 6am on Saturday morning. And one of the guys was really frustrated with the way it was worded. And I was encouraging him, like, well, that's good, you know, like it's supposed to freak you out, you know. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like that's a good, it's a good reaction. But he felt like the way they were writing it, it was like God didn't take sin seriously. It was a kind of almost like God laughing and mocking at your sin. But I think in context, it was a mocking of like, because he has triumphed over our sin, you know, like mm-hmm. he is, in Colossians describes Christ as like basically mocking the enemies of sin and death through the cross. So um, I don't know where I was going with that. But anyway, there's just this sense of it's, oh, I guess I was just the whole idea that it's shocking. Mm. Like this guy couldn't, it just seemed wrong, you know? And I think there's a sense in which the gospel should seem wrong and shocking and upsetting. It's an affront, right? Yeah. In a sense. Yeah. Hmm. It is right. It's not wrong. It's not true injustice to go back to what you were saying earlier, but it, it seems like it, and it is not how we think things would go or should. You know, I mean, yeah, it's it's disorienting. So. Well, we we get the outside and the the looking back picture mm-hmm. of all of that, but mm-hmm. in the story where we're left this week is Jacob is um, basically says, "Well, if my life's going to be horrible, my life's going to be horrible," mm-hmm. um, yeah. and he says go ahead and and go take my son, take Benjamin, Mm -hmm. and go back to the judge. So we don't actually know yet how the judge is going to respond to their their return and and bring him back their their brother. Jacob's thinking, well, there might be another son gone and another son dead. And that's Mm kind of where we left off this week, where where we finished. Yeah, another Um, cliffhanger. Another cliffhanger. So many cliffhangers. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, I want to – sorry, did you have something? Only random things. Are we into to random time yet? <laughs> oh, gosh. Go ahead. Well, we're we're definitely in random time. <laughs> well, I was gonna do 
Can't Let It Go Again. I don't know if you mm. listened all the way last week, but from from another podcast that I listened to, they do at the end of their their weekly podcast something that they cannot let go from the week, and it can be sermon-related or otherwise, something that's just been kind of on your brain. Mm. Um, last week, Dave's was a song. Elliot's was, was a book he was reading. Um, so I was wondering if there's something you can't let go um, it's just been been on your brain, sermon related, so Joseph related or otherwise. Hmm. Trees. trees, trees. We've been planting trees around our playground and our property, and and then I was actually having a conversation with Jeb about worship and different uh, modes and environments and ways of worship, and I was like, I think my favorite kind of worship has been the times we've had picnics and worshipped outside, hmm. and there's a breeze and trees and sunlight and. We just worship jelly trees. in the park. Worship jelly in the park, exactly. Jam, worship jam. Uh, no, actually, the, I was remembering a specific time when we had some baptisms out at the creek. But, yeah, just any outdoor environment, it's just incredible. I came to faith in the mountains of Colorado, and I'm just thankful for the way God has made the world. I did a little apologetics talk Saturday morning for our men's breakfast, and that's a big part of apologetics is like, Look up at the sky, you know? Look at the trees. Look at the stars. God is. Um, so anyway, I just can't let go of that. That's just stuck in my head, just kind of giving thanks and appreciation for nature and the way God's made the world. The cosmological argument cosmological for God. Cosmological argument, yes. Yeah. I was going to tell the story of my kids. We had the weirdest conversation. Mm-hmm. It actually kind of applies. So mm-hmm. uh, we always call them lawyers because there's all these like weird verbal contracts they're luring us into. You, know? <laughs> you said last night that we're going to get to do this Oh, and today. they never forget. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, what are you talking about? To it. So then, So then my wife and I are just really like careful with our language. Like, okay, let's set the boundaries correctly of this statement. If you... <laughs> you do this then this we may perhaps do this but so we call them lawyers and then they were sitting we were sitting at the supper table when we got back from colorado and they're just like what is a lawyer what does this mean and so i started describing it so it's you like, watched law and order with yeah. <laughs> special yes. victims yeah no, they don't, fell asleep. don't watch that one no, it was a good way good. for them to fall asleep no not special <laughs> victims no uh but yeah it was just really hilarious because uh, it was like talking about how they the, each side gets to describe what actually happened and they're like this is what you guys do you say no you told us this thing and mm-hmm. are and you're guilty and it's <laughs> like oh my gosh no that's not what we said the witness over here your mom trumps your statement <laughs> anyway but then they were like we should totally have a courtroom play and i want to be a lawyer and let's Whoa. act this out but it just struck me to tie it into joseph I just mm-hmm. thought it was hilarious, but mm-hmm. to tie it in, it's it's just we do have this this hilarious love of defending ourselves, and mm. and often we want to use our own wisdom to to like say, well, it could have been interpreted this way, and what I did wasn't mm-hmm. really wrong because of X, Y, and Z, and I just think that's just the thing I'm God's maybe saying, like, be careful of that mm. that need to defend yourself even in just relationships or in any situation. <laughs> um, yeah, let let God do that. Let him be the final word. Let him be your defense and not not your own wisdom. Mm. So. Jeb, you have anything you can't let go? Something been mm. stuck on your brain? Uh, I'm not sure. Several things. Um, but I guess the one that's most related to the Joseph story. Doesn't have to be related. Oh, it doesn't have to be related? No. Nope. Oh, man. Well, so 
so last night um, at Bible study, which we already mentioned a couple times, um, one of the, I guess the, the leader of the Bible study was mentioning an interaction that he had with his daughter, mm. uh, his very young daughter. I guess she's probably around six, maybe six. Wow. I was mm-hmm. totally off. Um, so his <laughs> six-year-old daughter, and it just really stuck with me. Um, and essentially she was, she was asking about hell. So he was explaining, um, that hell was separation from God. And she, she then quipped back, well, does God ever go check on him? And of, of course the, um, the father answered, no, um, it's separation from God. And she, that, um, that really stuck with her and had an impact on her because, um, whenever, you know, he's saying goodnight and tucking her in, she, you know, she's scared of the darkness and he's explaining that she's not alone, even though the, he is going to his, his room, the father's going to his room, God is still with her. And so she's not alone. And just that, the, I guess, seeing that truth distilled in sort of the childlike, just mm-hmm. seeing how it is and her reaction to hell and that separation from God being, well, does he ever go check on him? Mm-hmm. And the answer to that being no, um, was just, I don't know, it was such such a clear, mm-hmm. distilled um, view of, of the terror that is yeah. separation from God mm. um, and how that, that truly is, is horrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, poignant. Yeah. yeah. And that union with God, uh, uh, you know, going on to the, to the gospel side of that is that mm. we do have, we are offered union with God through the judge, through the judge and justifier. Mm-hmm. But to get that, we have that guilt and we also have that fear and mm-hmm. that need that we've sort of been talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, distilled in that example of the little girl mm. yeah. and let all those things push you to run to God mm-hmm. well mine was related to yours uh, on Saturday right at work day I showed up a little bit late and the parking lot was almost full I was mm. just super impressed with how many people were here mm-hmm. working hard um, we were literally walking around the church Steve Guest and I looking for more things to add to the list because mm. everybody was knocking out everything and getting things done so yeah. just super thankful for everyone's hard work um, for for all the effort they put in there were people here until goodness probably like four or five o'clock at least when yeah. I left yeah um, there people here all day working and and taking care of the church building, mm-hmm. um, but just showing their love for the church family, the church community that was mm-hmm. around us. So really appreciated everyone coming on Saturday that was cool. and working hard. I was super shocked and impressed when I pulled in a little bit late and the parking lot was so full. It's a good it's day. Awesome. It's cool. And 25-year-old men are very strong and very fast. I was impressed with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, to be young again. <laughs> They were getting too much done too quickly. (laughs) It's great. Well, thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to Sunday Recap, a weekly edition of the Grace Bible Church podcast where we talk about life and faith based off of our sermon this past Sunday. For recordings of our sermons and more podcasts, visit begrace.org slash podcasts. For more information about Grace Bible Church, visit begrace.org.